Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton. I'm the founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters, and I am your host for today's podcast. Typically, if you're a listener of this podcast, you would know that my co-host is my oldest son, Taylor Fulton. He's the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Well, two weeks ago today, Taylor became a father. I became a grandfather to Nico Michael Fulton. So uh, Taylor, for good reason, Taylor is not with us today. But boy, it just makes his dad very happy. And so we're, we're Taylor, we're thinking about you. So I'm very pleased to announce that our guest on today's podcast is Scott Wozniak. I've gotten to know Scott over the last couple of years in a number of different ways. First of all, Scott, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Thanks, Tim. And congrats on becoming a grandfather. That's exciting. Thank you. Very, very exciting. So, friends, a little bit about Scott. Scott grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I grew up in Miami, so we were maybe nice. neighbors at some point. Moved to Atlanta in high school, attended college at, uh, and Scott, I want to get this right, Washata. Am I close? Washita. That's closer Washita. than Washita. Yeah. Yes. University in, in Arkansas. Received, uh, went on and got a, a master's in business from Regent University in Virginia. Worked for a number of years here in Atlanta for Chick-fil-A in a senior executive role that we'll hear more about. And then he has his own consulting practice, Waz Consulting, that he, if I go back, I want to say almost 20 years that you've had your own practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's about right. So uh, a little bit more about Scott. He's uh, He's got his own podcast. He has written a couple books, but he has a new book coming out that we'll hear more about on October 10th. Uh, Scott is also a member of Menzo, which means he is by far the most intelligent person we've ever had on this podcast, uh, which I'm, I'm pleased to say. And lastly, uh, Scott was kind enough a year and a half ago, he spoke at my Small Business Matters conference and, and got rave reviews for his talk at that conference. So again, Scott, I want to welcome you to the podcast. We always start with the same question for our guests. And Scott, that question is, what is it that you do that matters to small business? Man, I, this is de- near and dear to my heart. Uh, a lot of what I do is for and with small business folks. And if I could sum it up at a very high level, I help small business leaders realize that greatness really is possible, that they really can become legends in the category. Now, that might mean getting big and growing big, but it might mean being that kind of passionate boutique place that uh, on purpose stays the size they want. But whatever it is, I've worked with a lot of these great brands from the big to the boutique. And I learned the pattern, the process is what the great ones do to create raving fans. And that's what I do. Uh, me and my team, we come alongside leaders and help them figure out how to get there, what it's what it's like. And really, it goes from this vague dream of a someday to, man, I could actually live my dream. I could actually have the kind of business and life that I want, that's so deeply satisfying for me is to help people realize, yeah, greatness is actually possible. I love that answer. So Scott, I want to make sure I didn't leave anything out. I I gave a short bio, anything that I left out. I mean, yes, but I don't know if we want to go down any of those trails. So I'll try not to rabbit trail us too much. So we'll put it this way. I'll give you the very short version, Tim. My first career had nothing to do with what I'm doing today. I'm I mean, indirectly, I learned a ton and I use a ton, but it's not what anyone would expect. See, my first field was as a professional performer. 
I was a child actor, uh, then a singer, and then got a, my, my first degree was not in business. My master's was, my first degree was musical theater performance. So there's a whole other story and conversation about the lessons learned. Uh, and, and let's just say I dodged a bullet cause I did all this before Facebook and Instagram. So there are, mm. there, there are only a few pictures and they're all in a shoebox that I have. So like, whoo, uh, yeah, some of those, some of those days are adventures, but what I learned is when I was young, everyone says, you got the gifts, you got to do this. And this might be relevant for some of our listeners. Right. And like, oh man, I stumbled into something I'm good at. And everyone's like, go do it. And by the time I was in middle school, I was winning regional competitions. I did my first speaking role when I was four, Tim. I'm like, when my mom was a director, so they say, hey, give the kid the role. What do you say to a four-year-old who doesn't freak out on stage, right? You say, good job, buddy. You're great. And with all the analytical wisdom of four-year-old, I was like, everyone's telling me I'm really good. I should do more of this. And so I did. By the time I was in high school, I actually got on NBC. Uh, I was a part of a Christmas special. And so like, everyone's like, you got the gifts, go do this. I go get my degree. I, by the time I, I woke up in my twenties, I'd done, I don't know, 50 or 60 lead roles. It was working, but honestly, I didn't love it. Uh, and I kind of came to a conclusion. This is not what I think I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. And so this is actually one of the things we do coaching. I, I coach a lot of leaders processing their life and their career. And I think a lot of small business leaders get stuck in this trap, right? Oh, you're good at this. You should go, you're a great pie baker. You should go bake pies. And they put their head down and they go, go, go. And you might even be making a lot of money making pies. But the question is, is this really what you want to do for the rest of your life? Is this really who you are? Now, you don't have to do what I did, right? I, I did not have a company. It was just a solo thing. I, I just took a left turn and went into this whole other path. But but, but maybe you could figure out a way to systematize that or, or have somebody else run it or just run it differently. But man, whatever it is, here's what I don't want. I don't want you to be stuck thinking, well, I guess I have the talent. I have to do it for the rest of my life. That life's too short for that. You should find something that you're not only good at, but you're also passionate about. And maybe you got to go add some skills. I mean, I, I did not have a lot of business uh, strategy skills in those early days. I was a learner. I was hungry. But I mean, I was a, I was a young 20-something who could uh, sing you a song and put a little shuffle step in the mix of that. But I, let's just say that was not very useful in the boardroom when I first was trying to figure this stuff out. So, so all that to say, you... You can do this. Your dreams are possible, but you don't have to, don't equate, don't make the mistake I did and think, well, if I have a skill, I guess that's the only career I can have. You, there are a lot of creative ways to take what you're doing. In fact, Tim, let's think about it. So sometimes it's like, ah, I guess those were wasted years. Actually, I think it's been one of my competitive advantages, right? It, part of the reason you and I are having this conversation is because I was able to get on stage and give a presentation that really made these ideas come to life for people. Now, I, I, um, despite what some of your listeners might be thinking, I did not sing during that presentation. There, there was no dancing involved, but I did use some of my stage skills and my communication presence and a lot of the psychology when you get into advanced theater, it's really understanding human nature. Um, and so like a lot of that stuff has allowed me to show up. So, so I didn't waste it, but yeah, I think I love what I'm, I know I love what I'm doing a lot more than, than when I liked theater. I didn't dislike it, but it wasn't it. And so if you're not satisfied, if you're just stuck in kind of like, well, this is my skill, I guess this is what I do. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you got other options. So yes, 
I've done some crazy things in my time. We haven't gotten to my extreme sports uh, fanaticism or my, my board game club. I'm uh, I'm I'm a character, man. I, I have a trouble sticking in one lane. So, so Scott, now you've taken me in a dozen different directions. So I'm not <laughs> sure which way to go. But we'll, we'll start with this. When I talk about leadership, to, I, I speak like you to the different Vistage groups. One of the things I say is that leadership is a, it's a performance. Mm. I remember having a Vistage member tell me that, that, you know, before he walked in his office each day, he would say, it's showtime. He had to remind himself that he was essentially, he was on stage that day. Talk about that, because it given your, your background, I, I it just seems so interesting, that thought that the leadership is a performance. How, what would you say to that? 100%. And I would say business is a performance. So a guy who's became a friend of mine, I read his book, and then we ended up working with him while I was at Chick-fil-A, Jim Gilmore, who with Joe Pine, they wrote the book Experience Economy. Uh, and the updated edition is my favorite. It's mind-blowingly cool. And in that, they make a really compelling case that business is not like theater. It's not a metaphor for theater. It actually is a theater performance. You've got cast members. You've got a stage, a set that you got to put all the right pieces together. You invite people into your environment. You walk them through some sort of experience, either by the physical product or a service. And, and you, you take them through this journey so they come out the other side feeling like, man, that's better. I'm better off for having gone through that. It's theater. And now, now that's just fun to say, but there's actually practical things to think about. For example, let's just start playing with this. You, the theater folks, I mean, there is a, there's a school of improv theater, but let's say normal theater, right? Um, normal theater, you don't just show up, make it up. There's practice time. There's a script that you play with. Hey, how do we want to say this? What words? We, there's blocking. Blocking is what we call who moves around where. Let's talk about the move of the space. There's a front stage team, like the actors. There's a world of professional expertise on the backstage crew. I mean, the headsets and the communication that has to be going on, they're always one step ahead of the front stage team. They're not following front stage. Who's actually leading is the backstage. Front, the, the actors get a lot of attention. Everyone claps for them. Oh, you don't, no, no. Listen, they have a boss. Their boss is the backstage manager who's like, Scott, listen, I need you on your spot, ready to walk in off that wing in five minutes. Let's get this going. Hey, Billy, let's get go pick this up. We They run the show and we show up to serve. And so you have this cascading group of like, we're here to set you up. You're here to create a great experience for our customers. I mean, you start getting to some interesting stuff that the amount of prep work and communication and coordination that you do to create an amazing experience, you don't stumble into that. In fact, let's go back to this improv thing that I set apart. Some of your listeners might be thinking, wow, well, yeah, improv theater, right? You just make it up. Yeah, sort of. I mean, yes, there's no lines. And you do make it up on the spot, the lines. But what you don't know is there's a ton of structure to that. You don't just randomly get up there and start talking. We pick a type of thing we're going to make up. The actors practice. It sounds crazy, but improv actors practice on how to feed off each other. There's actually a set of rules for things that you can and can't do to make improv work. For example, um, you can't say no to the other guy. So like if we're making up an improv and you're like, Scott, Scott, you don't understand. I got a bomb in this box. I can't say, no, you don't. I have to immediately run with, well, Tim said there's a bomb in this hypothetical box he's holding. I have to, uh, I have to go with him. What, well, what are we going to do with the bomb? Like, I can't say, no, 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 you're wrong. It's not about, so 
So that means there's certain things I should and shouldn't say, yes, there is or not. So all that back to saying, there's a lot of practice to look like you're effortlessly making it up. It doesn't remember you reminded me years ago, I took a, one of my vintage groups to an improv class one yes. night. It was one of the hardest activities I think I ever did. It, it looks easy as a, as a spectator, but we actually got into it. And it was, it was really hard. And you've you reminded me of that. Yes. So I want to shift gears because I mentioned in your introduction uh, that you spent uh, some time in your career at Chick-fil-A. We're in Atlanta. Chick-fil-A is a, a magical brand here in Atlanta. Describe a little bit, what was your role at Chick-fil-A? And I guess in terms of just, just learning, what did you take away from that experience? Man, I learned a ton. I think I learned 10 times more working for Chick-fil-A than I did getting my master's in business. Um, it was phenomenal. Now, part of that is because Chick-fil-A itself is such a great learning organization. I mean, it's one of the things I think that makes them the, the magical brand, as you said, that they are, is because they're continually trying to figure out next, what's next, how do we learn more, how do we learn from that? But but then that would probably be, I would have learned twice as much. The reason I learned 10 times as much is because I had a really unique role. So my title was organizational effectiveness consultant. So I was on staff full-time, but but my job was to float across the company. We would do strategic planning. And, you know, most of a plan is uh, 5% more, 10% better. Like you're just going to march forward. But every so often we'd come across something and be like, yeah, we really need to rethink that. Like we need to overhaul that area of the business. We, we got to start a new approach to this. In fact, I, they're a fast growing brand. They have um, for 36 years in a row, they've done at least 15% growth. They're on track for year 37. It's it's crazy. They roughly double every five years. It's bananas. So, so it's like boom, 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 boom. And when you grow rapidly, this might be interesting for your small business folks. You think I've got it. I've, I've done the systems. I figured out how it works. Here's what I found. Anytime you triple a part of your business, whether that's headcount, revenue, product lines, locations, I don't care, whatever it is, when you triple that part of your business, the old way of managing it doesn't work anymore. Like it, it, it just breaks. Not because you're doing anything wrong. Oh, oh man, like, what do we do? I thought we figured it out. Like, no, this is the normal course of growth. By the time you triple, somewhere between X and 3X, you got to come up with a new way of doing it. So Chick-fil-A on this fast growth was continually having to be like, man, that way doesn't work anymore. What can we do? What can we do? So they end up, they, they would do it along the way, but they got to the scale and size where that's what they pulled me in for. And they said, okay, we need a team. And so I was a part of a team and this was my job go figure it out. So I spent about half my time traveling the world, going inside great businesses, getting certifications, actually working on the job with other companies, even though I work for Chick-fil-A, saying, how do you guys do this? Learn their stuff. And then I would come back and the other half of the job was standing up some sort of upgrade plan and making it happen at Chick-fil-A. So crazy fun. I mean, um, my first project, this is a unique project at Chick-fil-A, but they were like, you know, I don't know if we can physically make enough product to fit it through our kitchens. Can you help us figure out how lean manufacturing applies to a restaurant? Which if you think about it, the back of a restaurant is a little mini manufacturing plant, right? You get raw product, you process it, you push it through the chute, and the customer picks it up. So like, hey, how do we do this? I don't know if we physically can make enough food to satisfy our rush, our peak hours, right? Lunch and dinner. What do we do? And so figuring that out. Well, then we swing the other end and they're like, you know, we really need to think about leadership development. We've been just kind of outsourcing it, sending people out. What if we built one that fits us exactly, maybe gets a little better close to home? And 
So, so this is the kind of crazy stuff they would have me do. I went to Harvard and Duke and I partnered with those guys to build a custom program for Chick-fil-A, like the best in the world. Sure. Go figure it out. And so, yeah. uh, How do businesses tell stories? How do you hire hourly labor? I mean, all over the company, I just did project after project. Hey, go figure it out. You and your team go, go study the greats and then come back and tell us what you think. So it, I learned a ton, man. It was, uh, it was the ride of a lifetime. Had a blast. What a, what a great job. So I want to take a, a bit of a dive into leadership because it it seems as I talk to business leaders today, there's some sense that leadership in the post-COVID environment is different in some way. And I'm not sure anyone has described it or if that's even valid. So let's start with how would you describe what is what is the role of a leader today? If, if, if I'm running a small, mid-sized Vistage-like company, I'm the CEO. What am I responsible for? Yeah, the number one thing above all else that a leader has to do is create clarity. There's a lot of options, there's a lot of money and resources and time and strategy and boundaries. Don't do this and product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the heart of all of it is clarity. Clarity on a handful of things first and foremost. Um, what does success look like? How are we measuring our win? What kind of people do we want? What's out of bounds? Um, how fast do we need to push? What what ways will we work and won't we work? I mean, for example, um, value stuff like when you mentioned it earlier. I, I would align with you on this one. One of the things we were clear on is, listen, grandkids, Trump podcast hosting. I mean, that, let's be clear. In fact, if your son was here, we might be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. We We might reprimand him. That's leadership clarity, right? Leaders create clarity on how to win, how not to win. What are we chasing? One of my um, Steve Jobs quotes. Steve Jobs is uh, interesting to bring up in leadership because, frankly, I don't actually think he was a world-class leader. I think he was a world-class product designer, and he became a barely functional leader by the end, enough that it didn't wreck him. The first part of his career, his leadership gaps wrecked his genius, and he was kicked out of you know his company because... Not because he wasn't smart, but because the dude created so much chaos as a leader. And then he got that into control enough. But but he even got the idea. Like then he said, I'm more proud of the things we said no to than the things we said yes to. And that was in the phase of his life when he finally got his leadership back under control enough and learned enough that he could actually run an organization. So yeah, it, it's about disciplined thought, disciplined action, to quote another hero of mine, one who I think is a much deeper thinker on this, is Jim Collins, author of Good to Great and so many other good books. Um, It's clarity, clarity, clarity. Listen, almost everything else you can delegate. And when you start small, maybe um, I'm going to cite a bunch of books here, right? I love reading. So E-Myth Revisited by Gerber is a great book. He talks this cool metaphor about like, hey, when you run Start and you're like, the company's just you. It's like every role of the company, you wear the hat. You know, there's the finance hat and the hiring hat and the operations hat. And you have like 14 hats on your head. And as you grow and the work gets, you can start passing off a hat to the next guy and the next guy. And But but there's one hat you never get to take off. You can pass off every other hat. You don't get to take off the hat of clarity. What matters? What are we trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? Start there. And, and I think especially for small business folks, the, the whirlwind, the chaos, the constant in-your-face demands is like, man, I got to solve this client problem and build this next thing and get end-of-month accounting done. And like all these pressures, 
and we can we can lose sight that our number one thing we do for our people is make things clear. We assume we know, but if we don't say it often enough, they don't know. It's interesting, Scott, that you say that. I heard at the fortune of seeing uh, author Daniel Pink speak a couple months ago at a Vistage event, and his whole message was never have we ever been in a period where there is less clarity in our lives, whether it's 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 a war, it's the economy, it's politics, it's business, working from home, working on, never have we ever been in a place where there was less clarity. And that suggests exactly what you're saying, that if you're going to do one thing right as a leader, it's you better get this clarity part right. Yeah. So to, to answer your comment or reply to that about is leadership different post-COVID, I don't actually think leadership is different post-COVID, but I do think the people we're leading are different. I think they need different things from us, not because leadership itself has changed, but there's stuff you probably could have gotten away with being sloppy on in the old days, right? The good old days, air quotes here, just four years ago, right? But but back then there there were zones like, and it's it's not just COVID. I think COVID accelerated things, but we're moving to a zone where it's less clear, it's less black and white. People are not even sure there is such a thing as truth. Who's on which side anyway? And I mean, economy, it's the weirdest moment, right? Especially for business leaders. Uh, as of 2023, when we're recording this, it feels to you, I don't know if this is what it's like to you, but all my clients, all the people I'm talking to, everyone's acting like we're in a deep recession, even though we actually all have money. Um, <laughs> this, there's not actually a lack of cash in the businesses, but we're all afraid to spend it because we're not sure what's really going on out there. We're all kind of keeping our powder dry just in case. And so, yeah, there's uncertainty, there's nervousness. So as that, as a leader, whatever you used to think was enough communication is probably not enough. Like double it, maybe double it again. Like you've got to really get in there with your folks. That's that's just a, a great prescription for leadership today. So, uh, Scott, I've got one more question for you, and then we're going to move into in a rapid recall. Sure. A lot of debate today about where employees should be working. Should they return to the office? Should they be working from home? Should it be hybrid, two days, three days? Mm-hmm. I deal with this every day with my clients. Uh, and yet there's a part of me that thinks maybe we're asking the wrong question. What do you think on this debate about where we should be working? Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but but I'm I think it can all work if you pay close attention to the goal is connection, community, collaboration. You can do that virtually, but you have to work differently. We've done that. We've been a virtual company for a while, and there's certain things you can do that work well virtually, but you can't just do the same things you would do at the office and convert every meeting to a virtual meeting and say you're fine. For example, we have to do stuff when we're in virtual seasons, like have a virtual lunch. Everybody pops open Zoom, grabs their lunch, and we just sit around. There's no meeting official. Let's just have the screen on and let's all hang out. We'll also do two retreats a year because there still is something about humans getting together. And so we'll go and meet somewhere and spend. And by the way, for leaders like, ah, it sounds expensive. It's actually a lot cheaper than the office space uh, if you're worried about that side of the things. So, but but we're talking two, three, all days together, get deep, do that at least a couple times a year. Then follow up with, I go visit key people. We go to client sites together. I mean, we say we're virtual as a company, but the truth is we spend a lot of time together 
hanging out in person, plus some virtual extra hangouts. Plus, guys, I have to have extra phone calls with my team. A lot of the casual stuff that will happen, like, oh, hey, can you just pop in my office? I got this question. And then we end up talking about that project. And none of that happens. Um, the downside slash upside of virtual is it's so much more efficient. And some of that inefficiency was really good for your culture. Um, the fact that you're like, well, since I got you here, let me ask you, let me sh can you show you this thing I'm working on? And I react to it and all that stuff's valuable. So I have to do things like our, you know, once a week, there's some employees I have a weekly call with just open agenda. Let's just talk about what's going on. There's some folks that do that with monthly. So it's again, it's less about the medium and it's more about how connected are you? How much are you making collaboration happen? Now, I will tell you in person, automatically a lot of that stuff happens. We bump into each other. We hang out. We're both there physically for lunch. Like a lot of this stuff happens. If you want to not be in person, if you have uh, compelling reasons, say you got multiple staff scattered locations, they live lots of different places or or for whatever reason, the, the finances or the building's not great for you anymore, then you can do virtual, but you'll have to find ways to recreate all the things that happen serendipitously when you're in person. So I'm, I don't have a hard stance in person, offsite. My question is how well are your people collaborating? How often do they get together and talk? If it's always structured and always efficient conversation, that's actually a problem. We need you to have some of the surprises and the unexpected cross-pollinization that happens. And so if you're not setting that up somehow, then yes, too efficient is, is actually a thing. So it's a, I'm a consultant. So let me give you the consultant answer. It depends, right? It depends on this, it depends on that. But here's what it doesn't depend on is you need your people to feel connected as people and collaborating on their projects. Yeah. So two more just quick questions, Scott. Yeah, uh, I know we've got people listening to this and they're thinking, I've got, I've got to hire this guy. <laughs> I need this guy. Talk a little bit about Swaz Consulting. What type of work do you get involved in? What type of yeah. clients do you work with? Thanks for asking that. To go back to your first question, this is what we do. We help leaders figure out how to build legendary brands. So we have a, this, this model, this we call it an engine with you stack all these things. It's the talk I gave for your guys, right? It's, this is the stuff you do. You do this, which leads to this, which leads to this. And if you put all that in place, you're going to have raving fans and those raving fans will be high margin and grow your business. And it's going to be great. And I've done this. You ask about the size. I've done this for giant multi-billion dollar companies, uh, Chick-fil-A, Newcore Steel, I mean, Home Depot, big brands. And then I've done it for mom and pops and startups for two person teams um, we've got everything from um, elite teams of three to four people that will help you grow to a book and an online program. If you're like, I just need the concepts. I can't afford the team yet, right? Someday we'll grow. So size is not the factor for me. What What is the determining factor is we want to grow, work with leaders who have a passion to be great, not just survive. We want to be a legend in their category, not just uh, make the next bill. Now, maybe currently your challenge is I got to hit this next quarter's paycheck, but but your dream is, man, I, I don't want to settle for survival. I want to go great. How do the greats do it? That's That's been my passion and study for the last 20 years. So, so yes, this is what we do. Let me get more tactical. Like that's, that's the outcome. How do we help people get there? Well, sometimes it's as simple as a book or an online program. Here's the information. Sometimes we do a training, right? Like I, you know, I'll speak. A lot of my folks on my team are professional trainers. We'll come teach people these skills. 
sometimes it gets a little more in depth. Hey, I need a coach. I want an executive coach to not just give me ideas and then go home, like stay with me once or twice a month, get with me on the phone, get with me in person and walk me through the journey and like help me bounce ideas off. If you want to get really in depth, tend to be the more mid-sized companies, mid to large, they can hire us for an assessment where we will send a team of experts who know your process, your industry. We've got got 18 folks on staff, so we cover just about every industry specialty. And we can get in there and look at your company, look at competitive analysis, customer experience, and say, here's where you are, and this is key. Here's a strategic plan on how you could build a world-class engine. You're great here. This is the zone. You're missing something, right? And so that custom assessment process. And then even a few of those people will say, you know, will you actually help us build this? Take that cool strategic plan idea. Will you like walk through it and stand up our company engine and make us actually help us turn the, the great stuff on. What we won't do, Tim, is we won't take over and do it all for you. Uh, we want you to learn how to be great. We want you to figure out and make the systems run on your own. Uh, sort of to the exception that sometimes folks have asked us to come along and be like um, a fractional chief experience officer, customer experience officer, and come in and just be that voice of customer experience and excellence on the team. But that's as far as we will go. We will we will not take over and make you dependent on our tools and systems. We want to train you how to build your own tools and systems, train your team, set it all up so that the whole idea is you ride off in the sunset without us. Um, you're great, not not we're great, and you get to come along for the ride, vice versa. So yeah. Everything from give you ideas to partner with you as a coach to assess your company to maybe even take I don't know, a couple of years and build something that that you're loving. So what what you're hearing is there's not a one size fits all because because you don't have uh, all the companies the same. So if somebody's interested, then I'd say come check out our information. There's a bunch of free stuff they can get. And then as they start getting into it, if they feel like they want to accelerate it, they want an expert to to kind of add some jet fuel to their their fire, then they can reach out to us and we can show, talk about options. Friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's it's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. Our guest today is Scott Wozniak. Scott, I have uh, already marked my calendar for October 10th. Tell our listeners why that's such an important date. Well, for me, it's a big deal because it's when I release my new book, Make Your Brand Legendary. It's about the stuff I was just talking about. I've been doing this for 20 years, and five years ago, I started writing the book, and I finally finished, partly because I was doing it while running a company, as your small business folks will understand, but also partly because I wanted to get it right, like to really write something I could be proud of, and I think this is the best thing I have written yet. Um we went through, I think, nine drafts before we finally said this is good enough that I feel comfortable releasing. It's got stories. It's got tactics. It's not a motivational book. It doesn't inspire you to want to be great. It says, hey, I'm assuming you want to be great. And if that's you, keep reading. And then section by section, here's how they did it. Here's the engine I talked about. And then here's tools. Here's tactics. Here's ways small, medium, and large-sized people can do it. Here's business-to-business -business examples and business-to-consumer examples. And it's loaded with real tools, and I cannot wait to see how brands can take it and run with it. So October 10th, Make Your Brand Legendary hits stores. It'll be in you know, Barnes & Noble and uh, airports and all the normal physical stuff, plus all the online channels. So it will, will show up everywhere. Very exciting, and I encourage our listeners to, to look for that book on October 10th. And don't just look for the book, 
order the book um, on October 10th. So, Scott, now we're going to uh, – this is usually Taylor's favorite part of the podcast. It's rapid-fire questions. He usually handles this. I'm going to take it over for it uh, today and just try my best. Rapid-fire questions. First question, best book that you've read in the last year? Man, I read a ton. I read over 200 books a year on average. So I just thought of like three books that I could read. So if I could cheat, can I give two books as my answer instead of just one? Sure. All right. So the best, most recent book that I read, that was a novel. So we'll go fiction and nonfiction. Because yes, I totally read fiction. I think not only is it fun and a good mental break, but the creativity, the emotional intelligence from a good fiction book is phenomenal. So one of the best books that I've read recently that's fiction is a book called Cradle. Now, this is like a, a magic fantasy adventure, think sort of like Jedi world kind of stuff. Cradle by Will White, W-I-G-H-T, phenomenal. It's a world where everybody has magic and some kids, one kid is born without it. And he's the one guy who doesn't have it and he's the outcast. And he's like, how do I figure this thing out? And um, and it's really a story of his growth as he grows from zero to figuring out how do I self-development, progress. I mean, it, for those who are hungry to grow and learn themselves, there's some really cool metaphors in there. And gosh, it's just a great story with huge surprises. And I, I can't say much more without ruining the plot. So Cradle was a great one. Um, and then from a business standpoint, man, there's a ton of great books. I've been in, in a unique season of rereading some of my classics. Um, and one that I would highly recommend for small business folks is the Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster, or mm. Entrepreneur Roller Coaster might be the precise title. Um, but it's by Darren Hardy. And the Entrepreneur Roller Coaster is about the internal journey of what it is to be an entrepreneur. This isn't about the external stuff, like how do you do the numbers and the customers? It's like, what happens in us? And I can tell you, I was far more prepared for the business side of it than I was for the internal journey when I first launched. And I reread this book, haven't read it in 10 years. I reread it again. I was like, oh, it's as good as it ever was. And, you know, the highs are higher, the lows are lower. It's like everything is uh, cranked up on volume and intensity. It's, it's glorious. I don't know if I could ever go back to non-entrepreneurial lifestyle, but but it's intense. And if you're not prepared for it, and if you don't have some disciplines in place, um, you can burn out. And so those are the two books I'd recommend. Uh, so yes, lots of, lots of reading. Favorite podcast? Man, again, I listen to a bunch of podcasts, but I will tell you my favorite new one that I've gotten into lately this past year. And he has the coolest podcast title. No offense, Tim. I like your podcast title, but well, you'll have to tell me what you think about this one. Here's the podcast title, How to Take Over the World. That's the name of the podcast. It's so epic. So here's what a guy does. He goes and looks at great leaders of history. I mean, people who literally, like in some cases, did actually take over the world, like Alexander the Great. But he also looks at um, folks like uh, Leonardo da Vinci, who didn't, you know, actually take over the world, but became one of the greatest in his field. And he reads multiple biographies and he pulls these interesting little life lessons. It's not just what they did. It's interesting insights like, hey, you know, I'm seeing a pattern. The last three guys all had this thing. Maybe you should think about that. It's a really well done, thought provoking podcast. So now that's my latest one that I'm kind of geeked out about uh, and and kind of bummed I didn't pick that for my own podcast title, like how to take over the world. It's take a over really world. cool title. Scott, it's your last meal and you're at a Chick-fil-A. What do you order? Mm. Okay. So insider deal. 
what you find is that you'll never get bored at Chick-fil-A, but you often find the old timers, we don't usually order straight off the menu. So, I mean, I could tell you my main menu item, if I have to pick, it's probably the spicy deluxe sandwich, but really what I want to do is start playing with it, right? I mean, so it's spicy deluxe, add bacon, which that's not normally on, but you can add bacon, have it from breakfast. So it's still sitting there. Cook me up some bacon, throw some bacon on that sucker, double cheese. At, this is my last meal. Just be clear. This is not my, I'm playing at this point, diet's out the window, right? Like you're going down, just go down with a smile, double cheese, add the bacon, and then take Chick-fil-A sauce and pour that stuff on top. Mm. Ooh, I mean, it's like three days worth of calories, but man, that <laughs> is a sandwich. Now, if you ask what I actually order most of the time, it's the Cobb salad because I'm trying not to die early. But yes, if it was my last meal, that's the sandwich. Not, not that Chick-fil-A needs a plug, but I had their new uh, honey pimento cheese. Yes. Delicious. That yes. was delicious. All right, uh, Scott, last question. You you shared earlier you were a child actor. Uh, there's going to be a movie made about you. Who, What actor would you choose to play Scott in the movie about Scott Wozniak? All right, so this will be a highly optimistic answer. I'm not sure it's accurate. But I would love Matt Damon. That would be so cool. Now that 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 makes me much better looking than I really am. But like you know what? Hey, close enough and personality and style. Like I love that dude. Uh, heck yeah. Good answer. If I get to wave the magic wand and make myself look as good as I possibly can, Matt Damon. Scott, I've got a full page of notes here. You talked about the important for leader, the most important thing for leaders to create clarity. We talked about leadership as a performance and the, and the business is a, is a theater of sort, which I find to be really interesting. And I wrote down the name of that book, The Experience Economy. You shared the idea. We're talking about the design of businesses and how when a business triples in size, the design of the business goes out the window and, and explodes, uh, essentially, how COVID was a an accelerator uh, for many businesses, accelerating change. And we talked about the question that many businesses are dealing with remote work or not, and what drives that decision. Scott, I'm sure that uh, uh, the number of our listeners will want to uh, to reach out, make contact. What's the easiest way for them to do that? Yeah, they can go to my site, my website, and see all this information. You can get a newsletter and sign up to get my weekly little, I do a tiny little thought, very brief, because we're all busy, but stuff I'm learning uh, kind of podcast, but you can find out the book. You got links to my company. All of that is at my website, right? And so it's scottwozniak.com, www.scottwozniak.com. So scottwozniak.com, and you'll see all the links to everything else. Perfect. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on uh, the Small Business Matters podcast. I hope that you'll come come back and join us again. I just, my sense is we we just skim the top in terms of content. So I hope that uh, you'll come back again. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Always fun hanging with you. A few things for our listeners. Uh, if you're not already uh, subscribed to the Small Business Matters newsletter, I would encourage you to do that at our website, www.smallbusinessmattersonline.com. Right now, we've got the Small Business Matters Bootcamp going on, and we've got a great uh, group for that as we move through uh, each of the five modules. Uh, I ask you uh, to both rate, review, and subscribe to the Small Business Matters podcast if you've not done, already done that. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters.